I don't know if you've ever uh, packed a picnic lunch. Um, you know, the basket, the blanket, the chicken, Kentucky Fried Chicken, um, and whatever else goes with it. Those uh, summer summer picnics are, are kind of cool, aren't they? Well, anyway, there was a group in Washington, D.C. that they, too, decided it was in July. Uh, it was a beautiful, sunny day, and they chose to pack it up and head out of town about 32 miles. The name of the town that they picked was Manassas. It was July 27th, 1861. There was a civil war beginning in the United States where our country was divided. The people in Washington, D.C. thought, hey, 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 this is just going to be a quick rebellion. We want to go see this, this uh, great Union army uh, defeat the Confederates, you know, figuring it would just take an afternoon and the war would be over, done. They'd come home and uh, everything would be cool. So anyway, they, they packed up their carriages, uh, they got on their horses, and they, they made their way to Manassas. Now, um, a soldier that was there uh, kind of chronicled what he saw. He said, man, it was a throng of sightseers. They came in all manner of ways, stylish carriages, uh, buggies, horseback, even on foot. It was Sunday, and everybody seemed to have uh, taken a general holiday. There was a reporter from the London Times. He actually showed up for, for this uh, event as well. And he wrote, the spectators were all excited and the lady with an opera glass was quite beside herself at the sound of an unusually heavy explosion. That is splendid, she said. Oh my! Isn't that first rate? Well, people that were there realized, hey, uh, reality began to set in. You know, this was no picnic. Men were screaming after being wounded. Blood was being shed, uh, the sound of gunfire, and um, dad started grabbing their kids and loading them up in the buggies and taking off, and people were jumping on the horses saying, man, we got to get out of here, you know. And some were caught in a stampede of the retreating Union troops, and one spectator who was there happened to be a congressman from New York, and he was caught by the Confederate soldiers and kept in prison for six months. That's nice going to the picnic, you know. Um, that was the last time onlookers took picnic baskets to a battlefield, wasn't it? Or was it? <laughs> Could it be that uh, we're making the similar mistake in our own personal lives, you know? Is it possible that what happened uh, to those folks from Washington, D.C., we're kind of emulating as well? Um, because here's the deal. When, when you read the Bible, you, you realize that uh, life is not a picnic. Have you noticed that? When you read the Bible, when you live your life out on this planet, life is not a picnic. We are, from what the Bible says, we are in a spiritual battle. And it's raging. And blood is being shed. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12 through 16. Now I'm using the message here because of the imagery. Just track with me. God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest, or we could say no picnic that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight. Will you grab onto that? This is a life or death fight. To the finish against the devil and all his angels, be prepared. You're up against far more 
than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. When you read your Bible, you realize that, as I already mentioned, life is not a picnic. There is a spiritual battle raging. Uh, The Bible mentions the devil, Satan, Lucifer, by name. And his goal is to keep you away from God. He wants to take unbelievers to hell with him. He wants to make life hell for believers. That's his That's his goal. There's been a survey that's been recently taken by the Barna Group. They do research across the country. I want you to grab on to what they found. Four out of ten Christians, four out of ten followers of Jesus Christ, how many is that? That's 40%. That's what they taught me in school. Four out of ten is 40%. Is that yes? Yes? Is that right? Good. Good. We're thinking this morning. 40% of followers of Jesus Christ strongly agree that Satan is not a living being but is a symbol of evil. He's a, a fairy tale, so to speak. An additional two out of ten Christians, that's 20%, said they agree somewhat with that perspective. So let's, let's push the envelope. 60% of followers of Christ sign off on there being a real devil. A minority of Christians, 35%, indicated that they believe Satan is real. In other words, they agree with what the Bible says. Let's stop for a minute. 35% of followers of Jesus Christ who are supposed to be reading their Bibles are the only ones that believe the Bible endorsing spiritual darkness, the devil. The remaining 5% were not sure what they believe about the existence of Satan. Where, where do you fall in that scale this morning, friend? Where are you? Hmm? Dude, it's messed up. I, I, I'll be straight up with you. That's messed up. It's messed up. We got too many followers of Christ going out on picnics, man, and calling it the day. You know, I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm going to a picnic. You're not going to a picnic. This is life and death. There's a battle raging for your soul going on right now. Man, you, you read the Bible. You, you can go in Genesis 1 when, verse 31, God looked over everything he created and he said, man, it was very, very good. It's good. He put a stamp of approval on it. Man, it's good. Now, all you take two chapters later in Genesis 3, here comes Satan showing up as a snake in the Garden of Eden. So somewhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, there was, there was a holy war in heaven where Satan decided, hey, I want to be just like God. And he started a little rat going on up in heaven. Hey, 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 we want to be worshipped just like Jesus. This isn't fair. So between one and three, that's what on. And we see Jesus endorsing that, by the way. If you read the Bible, you'll find out that this is exactly what happened. He, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Question, does Jesus believe there's a devil? Then why don't you? 
1 Peter 5.8, stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Jesus again endorses it in John 10.10. He says, the thief, Satan's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. So, So Jesus, in fact, in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, was tempted by Satan three times. And Jesus, who teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, 13, said, And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And here's a footnote. Revelation 12, 12, the devil has come down to you in great anger. He's ticked off at you. He's angry at you. He wants to destroy you, knowing that his, he has little time. His time. He knows the clock is ticking, that he's running out of time. And that's why he's moving so aggressively across this planet. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, we are human. We are human, right? We are human. We are created in the image of God. The only things that God created, animals do not have a soul that live forever. Human beings, man, we have eternity planted on the inside of us. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Let me tell you something. There's a bunch of false arguments going around our culture today. A a false argument. There is no devil. There is no hell. Oh, yeah, I believe it. Do you? There's more than one way to get to heaven. God is too loving, man, to send anybody to hell. See, we get that all the time. The pushback. Check this out. This is, a, this is a battle. This is not time to pack your picnic basket, man. In Revelation 20.10, then the devil, who had deceived them. Do you see what he deceives? He's so good at deceiving. Was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. Talking about the Antichrist, the tribulation, that day is coming. And there will be, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And see, so that's, the, that's the, the place that was created for Satan and his demons. But when people, individuals made in the image of God, reject the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if they reject that opportunity to live for him on this planet in this short life, why would they live for him in eternity in heaven with him? And so Jesus gives those who rejected him on this planet what they wanted. They have chosen to go to hell. Jesus is just endorsing their decision. That's all he's doing. Friends, we, this, this is a prelude to the text this morning that we're going to be looking at. On the back of your program, there's an outline, and you can, you can fill that out um, as, we, as we go along. Um, number one, uh, in your notes, Jesus on the road again. And I know two weeks ago we said the same thing. And you said, dude, I'm here for something new. It's new. He's not in the same place, but he's on the road again. Verse 22. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Jesus cares about people so much that he's on the road I think about different religions where you have to go to a place to find God. 
Can I tell you, our God, Christianity, is the only religion where God is walking after you. He's pursuing you. Aren't you glad for that? I, I think when I was a young dude, man, and I was pushing God away, even as a little termite, I could feel the, the resistance in my body to say, no, I don't want God in my life. Where does that come from? Did I learn that on a video? No, it's because of my sin nature and your sin nature. And, and God could have said, Bob, man, you're messed up. I'm, I'm just walking away. I'm calling it a day. You're, you're toast, man. It's over. He could have done that. But he was on the road again. In the town of Harvey, Illinois, he followed me there. And I finally relented. And I have not regretted it one bit. Oh, I thank my God for being on the road again, just like you. He's on the road again in your life. Man, he's coming after you. Some of you are pushing back on him right now. And he's coming after you. Because of his love. And... And I look here, number one sub-point, Jesus is teaching. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he went. What was he teaching? The core message of Jesus' teaching, if we could summarize it into a sentence, we go to Mark 1, 15, where Jesus says, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. That, that was his message. That was the gospel. That's why he came as a baby to get on the road again and proclaim this great news. Man, and it's been written down for your benefit and my benefit when you look at the gospels in the red letters, man, when he's talking. Let's... Let's check out, um, this is a map. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, next November, there's a tour going to Israel, and you can get in on the ground floor by saving money if you sign up before the end of December. That's information's at Guest Central. I encourage you to check that out because I've been there twice. I'm going back again because something happens to you, man, when you go to Israel and you see the Bible in living color. So when you read your Bible, there's a picture in your head. It is so cool. So... So Jesus grew up here. He was born down here. He's heading to Jerusalem here. And let's go to the next image. When you look at uh, the, the news today, it's always front cover, stuff going on in this area. The Gaza Strip, the Golan Heights. What's going on there? Rockets being shot into Israel, right? You have Syria where you have embedded terrorists, being trained, it's a hotbed. And Jesus walked through those communities. Let's move on. And this is a poor image. It's blurry to make you think your eyes are going on purpose. But this is an image of the, the territory that Jesus walked and taught as he's walking through towns and villages, that gives you some, some idea of um, what he dealt with. And so when we look at Jesus going through these towns and villages and teaching, first of all, because of God's character, he cannot lie. And Jesus is walking and teaching truth. 
And I'm so glad for that. I hate being lied to. I hate being deceived when you find out you were deceived. I don't like it. But it is so encouraging for me to know that I'm basing my life on truth. I can trust it. And Jesus is teaching truth. And we look at, so, so, he's, so he's, he's walking through this community and he's, he's talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is in the spiritual realm. And so there's, there's two kingdoms in the spiritual realm. There's this, the, the, the kingdom of darkness, which is led by Satan and his demons. And then there's the kingdom of light, which is led by Jesus Christ. And those of us followers of Christ, man, we are, we are rooting for the kingdom of light. We're pointing people to the kingdom of light. And, and so there we have it. And number two, Number two, Jesus is pressing on. This is what I, I really like. He's always pressing on towards Jerusalem. I, I like that word always. We, we hit this two weeks ago as well. That Jesus uh, was, was passing through the border of Judea and Samaria uh, to Jerusalem. Why? Because you know what his mission was? He was... He was endorsed by his father to go to Jerusalem to be crucified, to be falsely accused of crimes that he never committed, to be tortured and nailed to a cross to pay for your sin debt and my sin debt in full, in full. And even though, even though there was a death sentence on him, he knew he was going to Jerusalem to be killed and to die. That did not prevent him from pressing on to go to Jerusalem. Aren't you glad for that? He fulfilled his mission. He's pressing on. In 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Man, the prospect of death did not deter him at all. Number two. Jesus is asked the question. Verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And, and I, 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 this point, Jesus asked the question. This, is, this question is the question that we need to be asking as well. Lord, will only... A few be saved. Um, putting this in context, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish community. These are not atheists. These are not agnostics. These are men and women who have following after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're following the law. And so, and so being really, really religious, they're making the assumption that because they're Jews, they are going to be the only ones that enter into the kingdom of God, heaven. They will be the only ones. And so that's why he says, well, only if you will, we be the only ones that get into heaven. It's kind of a heady thing, you know. I'm so spiritual. God is so fortunate to have me on his team. You know? You talk about pride. You talk, you talk about taking on the character of Satan. You know? That's creepy. That's creepy. And so this community, when they're submitting this question to Jesus, they, get, they figure, we got it all figured out, man. We're going in. We got to pass. Whew, we're Jews. We're good. Some people today think, man, by going to church, by being good, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. Oh, man, not true. Not true. This morning, this morning, we need to be asking 
the same question. Lord, will only a few be saved? Um, I think about um, John Chow, who was killed off of Asia a couple weeks ago. Um, went in all alone to this remote island to proclaim the gospel to these natives. He kept a journal and he got close to the island by a boat but then he had his kayak and he came, he came paddling in on his, on his own. And this is what he wrote. This is what he said the first time. He got close to the island. My name is John, and I love you. And Jesus loves you. And then he wrote later, you guys might think I'm crazy and all this, but I think it's worth to declare Jesus to these people. Please don't be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Because what John experienced when he came in on a kayak, he got close, he was yelling his name, and he was yelling, Jesus loves you. They started shooting arrows at him. And so he put it in reverse. And then that's why he wrote this, I'm going back in, and if I die, don't be angry. Because he went back the next day. Did the same thing, and he was killed. 28 years old. I have to tell these people about Jesus. Lord, will only a few be saved? Well, the mission organization that John was part of, they said John was a gracious and sensitive ambassador of Jesus Christ who wanted others to know of God's great love for them. And as we grieve for our friend and pray for all those who mourn his death, we also know that he would want us to pray for those who may have been responsible for his death. You've seen it in the news, man. You know? We see that happening. And um, um, I got, a, I got a, uh, an email last week from a dude from here. And... And um, he kind of gave me a little background of what's going on where he works. He says, I work with one believer on and off, but for the most part, I work in an ungodly atmosphere. It has become increasingly hard to share the truth among coworkers and customers. It's strange to think that even among this particular career, there are very few believers and he signs his name, Keep Fighting the Good Fight. Um, what's this about? It goes back to the prelude, the intro this morning, when we have 60% of followers of Christ that don't believe there's a devil. And that's only part of the problem. That's only part of the problem. Because Barnack also found out that 8 out of 10 people in America who profess to be followers of Christ live absolutely no different than their non-Christian counterpart. Not 10%, not 40%, 80%. Do you know why? In America today, the culture is changing because Christians are signing off. They put up the white flag, man, and called it the day. Chip Ingram writes, It's no wonder that we have a generation of people that are disillusioned with the church and organized religion. What I commonly hear non-Christians say is, I'm not against God, I'm not even against Jesus, but when I've been in church situations and I meet religious people who claim to profess they're Christians, the disconnect between their lifestyle and their beliefs is often so deep, I don't trust their faith at all. 
Chip, who is a pastor out in California today, he says, at one time in my life I could relate. When I was growing up, my parents were not followers of Christ. We went to church occasionally, but what I saw was not authentic Christianity. I saw lots of hypocrisy. People's lives weren't reflecting what the very words of Jesus taught. So by the time I was 15, I had already decided that I was done with God and done with the church. That's why our lifestyle matters so much. When Christians actually live like Christians, we give greater credibility to the gospel. But when Christians say one thing and live another way, we undermine the credibility of the gospel. So how about you? Are you letting the light of Christ live through you? How are you doing at consistently living out what you say you believe? You see the disconnect, friends? You see what's going on in America today? Because I'll tell you this. When you look at Asia and when you look at South America, there are tremendous things happening spiritually for the kingdom of God. People putting their faith in Christ. Thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions, man. And many times it's under heavy persecution. I, I, I think about Jeremiah Johnson. <laughs> and I know, I know what you're thinking. You mean the dude that was up in the mountains? No, that's not the dude I'm thinking about. He's got the same name. Jeremiah Johnson, he's a, he's a Christian writer. And, and he says he's concerned uh, about what's happening in America right now. He calls it the gospel of accommodation. Massive deception is sweeping the church in America. And it is fast asleep. There is a very real war. Kind of echoes what we started with. The gospel of self-denial and this false gospel, the gospel of accommodation, which is seeking to overtake the American church, the gospel of accommodation encourages American Christians to fit Jesus into their life rather than making him their life. The false gospel requires no sacrifice and Greg Laurie. How did I come upon this text this morning? I can tell you, the last few weeks, stuff has been hitting me in the face, you know? There's been a theme going on. Friends, this is not time to be packing your picnic lunch. This is a time to get serious about the battle. Greg Laurie article last week, America, this is your wake-up call. It's time to wake up, America. As we look at end-time events in the Bible, boom, boom, boom. It's alarming not to find the reigning superpower, talking about the United States, on the face of the earth in the last day's chain of events. We can certainly find the nation of Israel. We can find the nation of Iran. I think a case could be made for Russia and perhaps China, but where is the reigning superpower, the United States of America? Every nation has a lifespan. Every nation has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The might of ancient Babylon lasted for 86 years. You know, Babylon that went into Judah when we were talking about Habakkuk series. Remember that? The powerful Persian Empire did a bit better at 208 years. The glory of Greece was eclipsed after 268 years. The mighty Rome ruled for almost nine centuries. The British Empire endured for some 250 years. The United States of America is 242 years old and counting. Every nation's days are numbered. The Bible says godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Proverbs 14, 34. Friends, friends. The church, the body of Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, 60% don't believe there's a devil, 80% are not even, their lifestyles are no different. Tell me what the problem is. 
America's in trouble. He says if we turn from righteousness, if we forget God, and even worse, if we rebel against God, we will face the consequences. This is not time to be packing the picnic lunch. This is time to realize we are in a battle, man. And America is in a civil war spiritually right now. We are fighting for the spiritual life of this nation. And I submit to you, Lord, will only a few be saved? We should be asking that question. What about my family? What about my brothers and sisters? What about my mother and my father? What about my children? What about my grandchildren? Will only a few people in my family be saved? Last week, in our home, there was a conversation going on in our kitchen, and I was in another room, but I overheard what was being said. And you're talking about Mormor, who was my wife's grandmother, who lived with us for many years here. And she was, her life was ending, 98 years old, she was winding down. But what was most important to her before she passed away was this question. Are all my children saved? Are my grandchildren saved? That's most important. That's what we need to be asking, friends. And if they're not, we need to be praying for them. Because Friday, I went into my mother-in-law's home. And on the wall where you come in, boom, first thing that you see, there's a plaque hanging on the wall that says, We are saved. And the names of the children and grandchildren that have put their faith in Christ are written on that plaque. We are saved. We should be asking, Lord, will only a few be saved? Because that's the most important question we should be asking. Because there's a battle raging for the souls of those that you love. There's a pastor by the name of Alistair Begg who pastors in Ohio. He was asked to speak near Harvard University, Cambridge, Massachusetts, a few years ago. He got up early on that Sunday morning to go into a restaurant. He was one of the few people that had in that place, and the streets were quiet. He was tweaking his talk, and He started to feel this sense of the gospel. Is it good enough? Is it, is it foolish? You know, you start to question the gospel. I'm, in, I'm near Harvard. I mean, and then he himself started to feel inferior as a communicator. Am I, am I going to be able to articulate this message to the people this morning? But let, let's just pause for a moment. Do you know why Harvard University was established? Do you know why the mission statement was for Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts? It was founded with the intention to train Christians to become ministers of the gospel. Do you know what the motto was on the wall when you come into Harvard University? 
truth for Christ and the church. How's that going? How's that going, friend? Truth for Christ and the church. I overheard a conversation last week. That they were talking about the, the why. That's not a question mark, by the way. Why? The YMCA. The YMCA. Yes, there's a song. I'm not going to sing it. Thank goodness. Young Men's Christian Association. The YMCA, when it was founded, it was, it was established so that when young men were, who were looking for housing or a meal could come into a YMCA, and there they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there they would experience the love of Jesus Christ in that environment. Billy Sunday, the former Chicago White Stockings player, who was an alcoholic, ended up there. And he heard the gospel. How's the why doing today? You been to one lately? How's it going in your life? You know, when you put your faith in Christ, you know, those early years, your motto, I'm going to live for Jesus, boom, how's that going? Are you turning into a Harvard? Are you turning into a why? How's that going? Hmm? Well, Alistair Begg, when he was getting hammered, listen, friends, I get it. I get it, man. I, let me tell you something. I'm not always on top of the mountain. And either are you. Because I have blood flowing through my veins and I get discouraged, just like you. And yesterday, Saturdays, I commit to finalizing the talk for Sunday. And while I am doing that, I have worship music going. And so I, it cycled through, man, my, my, my music. And I'm, and I'm going through my notes, and all of a sudden, I hear something I never heard before. And, and so I, I put everything down, and I'm just like, and I, I started weeping. Because God's presence just flooded me. was going into the watchtower and being alone with God and God's presence just whoo, was poured in there. And let me tell you something, man, I needed it. And if you would have come early, you would have, you would have heard that song played in this auditorium. I needed it. Time to stop not reading your Bible. It's time to believe the Bible. It's time to live your life like Jesus did. Model it to the world because they're hungry for truth. They're sick of hypocrisy. And just like Alistair Begg, man, he was discouraged at that table, man. Whew, you're wasting your time here. A sparrow flew inside that restaurant and landed on his table. And it was as if God was saying, dude, I have my eye on the sparrow and I have my eye on you. What you are is great worth to me. 
And then he looked across the aisle. And he saw an Asian girl there. Like she was intently reading something. And as he zeroed in, it appeared to be a Bible. And he watched her. And yeah, indeed, it was a Bible she was reading. And so he, he kind of went over and asked her. He said, I see that you're reading the Bible. Are you a follower of Christ? And she smiled and she replied, oh, yes, I have found the narrow way. The narrow way. What's that mean? That means there's only one way. That means Jesus is the only way. She had come from Korea to study at Harvard, 10,000 miles away. She was the only believer in her family coming from a Buddhist background where they have three million gods. How would you like to worship three million gods? Are you up for that? Hmm? For her, this was the narrow way. Because when you look at Harvard and the pluralistic philosophy it has there, it tolerates everything except the narrowness of the gospel. Everything's good, man, except Jesus being the only way. She understood her Christian faith so well, she expressed it as the narrow way, the only way. I'll tell you what, Alistair Begg, he said, man, I was fired up when I got to talk that morning. And God used me in a very special way as I presented his word with power and authority. Salvation is one narrow door. And Jesus is the narrow door, isn't he? He's the only door. It's inclusive. Listen, friends, Christianity is inclusive, not like other religions. The door is wide open, and anybody can come into that narrow door. Anybody and everybody. It's wide open. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. That narrow door divides heaven and hell. That's right. Just like you have a door on your house. There's a door, the narrow door, the only door to heaven that you have to choose and decide to say, Jesus, I'm deciding to put my faith and my trust in you. And this morning, I don't know how your relationship with Christ is right now. Man, if it's compromised, you're right. There's no power, is there? You have no power in your life to live for a godly life because you're compromised. You're staying out of the Bible? Where are you going to get your fuel from, man? Come on. You going to another picnic this afternoon? It's not time. These are desperate times. Desperate days. A battle raging for your soul. Maybe it's time today that you put up the white flag to Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. Sin will separate me from you, Lord. I can't get into that narrow door with me being a sinner. And I recognize that you died on the cross, that mission of you going to Jerusalem. You died for my sin. Yeah, and you rose on the third day. So by faith, Lord, by faith, with all my weight, I believe, Jesus, you are my Savior, that you took my place on the cross. I put my trust in you. And you promised to save me. You're not a liar. I'm so grateful that you're not a liar. And so I believe, Jesus, you are my Savior. And that as I confess my sins, you will forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, from all sin. Lord, I thank you for doing that. I thank you for doing that. Is that you? Father, we thank you this morning. 
some, some have been battling ever since they came in. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. I'm going to keep going on picnics and live my life as a big party. I pray, Holy Spirit, that out of your great love and your mercy, that you will convict, you will convict that as a sinner, sin will separate me from a holy God. But today I choose to put my faith, my trust in Jesus, my Savior, who took my place on the cross. Today, I do it. I surrender to you, Lord. And Lord, help us as men and women and today to realize that we are pointing people to you or away from you by the choices we make. We're talking about consequences for eternity. Help us, Lord, as followers of Christ to model your character through your power, Lord, through your grace. Will you help us do it, Lord, so that more will be saved? God's Spirit saying to you right now? What, what is He saying? I, I believe He's speaking. What is He saying to you right now? Jesus' name.